Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen and welcome to the Stage Zero Life Sciences Q2 meeting. All lines have been placed on a listen-only mode and the floor will be open for your questions and comments following the presentation. At this time, it is my pleasure to turn the floor over to your host, Mr. James Howard Tripp. Sir, the floor is yours. Good morning and um, welcome everyone. And um, we'll begin with the normal forward-looking statement. And so I'll advise you that this presentation contains forward-looking statements identified by words such as expects, will, and similar expressions, which reflect the company's current expectations regarding future events. The forward-looking statements involve risks and uncertainties that could cause the company's actual events to differ materially from those projected herein. Investors should consult the company's ongoing quarterly filings and annual reports for additional information on risks and uncertainties relating to these forward-looking statements. The reader is cautioned not to rely on these forward-looking statements. The company disclaims any obligation to update these forward-looking statements except as required by law. I think um, as we focus on um, company overview, it's important to remember that we're first and foremost a cancer testing company. Um, this is what we do. As a result of that, everything that we do has to be extremely accurate. It has to be extremely well done. It has to be very timely. Um, this is how we approach everything, including the COVID testing. Remember, too, that everything is focused around Aristotle. Aristotle has been 15 years in development. We'll talk a lot about that as we go further into this. But everything is about Aristotle. We have three other tests. They help. Um, I think, as we'll talk quite a bit in length, um, most diagnostic testing in the cancer space is severely impacted right now. So it allows us time, actually, to build on Aristotle but it also um, gives us the focus into COVID. We talked about the fact that we offer PCR and antibody tests. Our uh, prospectus offering that we did laid out very clearly what we were intending to do, what we believed the opportunity was, and uh, what we believed that we might be able to recognize over the next nine to 12 months. It's all the things that we have built in the last two years that enable us to do this and right now sets us apart from many, many other companies. We're going to take the time this morning to actually walk through this in a fair amount of detail. And key with this is that we have to set expectations correctly. And I'll say that again. We have to set expectations correctly. So Aristotle, we know about, we talked about, it's a single sample of blood. It is nine discrete cancers. It is a significant global revenue opportunity. And it, in actual fact, is going to, the kind of impact it will have on the company is to, in fact, reorganize us and have us go in a different way. And we'll talk more about this um, as, as we go out over the next few months. But remember that it's our intent 
to be able to commercialize Aristotle, at least in the cancer form, by year-end. I'm going to go to COVID-19, the problem and the opportunity. So first and foremost, um, COVID-19 has severely disrupted all of healthcare. For a number of our investors, um, people don't seem to be getting their heads around that. It has severely disrupted all of healthcare. If you look at the Q2 numbers that we've had, we have Illumina down over 25% in revenue. We have Exact Sciences down. They are the 800-pound gorillas in the space in which we operate. Exact Sciences reported initially that their testing was down 63% in the first 20 days of April. It has impacted everything. We talked to hospital systems. We were talking to a hospital system with 25 hospitals just last week. Their CFO is extremely concerned. Their revenue is down between 45 and 50%. There is little, if any, elective surgery. Wards are closed. Everything is focused on COVID. And so we get questions, for example, regarding Encore. And people say, so when is Encore about to start? I would remind everyone that in the same way that North America has been impacted, so has Europe. Um, the Encore contracts will start as soon as they're able to but it depends very heavily on as countries open up for um, COVID. We will announce, we will advise when that begins. But the focus is incorrect. You have to focus on what COVID has done to the world, and you've got to look at the ability to be able to survive. We're testing in Arizona. The positive rate in Arizona is between 9 and 22 percent. 11% of the cases are being hospitalized. Um, the ICUs are at capacity. We're watching all of this play out. You have to think about what this impact is. We have labs around us in the Richmond area. We're in a biotech hub. There was, is one group very close to us that had 150 staff a short while ago. They're down to eight people. They're hanging on by, the, by, by their absolute fingernails in terms of trying to make it through. Another one a little further down the road has just closed. Report on business this morning said that from a Canadian perspective, they expect 176,000 companies to not make it through COVID. So the first and foremost thing you have to look at is the ability to survive. If you can survive, it's a good thing. The next thing is can you survive and thrive? For us, we're one of the lucky ones. Um, we're at the other end of that. It's a major building opportunity for us. Um, we have been able to pivot. We've been able to get a lot of revenue. And as a result of all of that, we can use it as a springboard for growth. Um, and it's a springboard for Aristotle. And I'll talk about this a lot as we go through. You look at what we do in COVID testing. Um, we currently do the, the PCR tests. We also do the antibody tests. PCR tests are for the live virus. It's critical. It's obviously moving. We do nasopharyngeal swabs, which actually are state-of-the-art. They're the gold standard at the moment. But there are also multiple other ways of looking at it. For example, saliva collection. Um, we will continue to stay abreast of this as we move forward. So we will always um, introduce new testing as appropriate. Antibody testing is to tell you what the spread of the disease is. It's to tell you those that have already been infected. And clearly, as we move forward, having both are truly important. There are also a number of 
additional innovations that are coming into the marketplace, as they come in, we will stay current with those too. Key with this is you have to be able to provide your results speedily. So if you look at some of the large labs in the U.S., it is 14 to 28 days current turnaround on that. That is clinically useless. People have talked about it, are talking about it. It is clinically useless. You have to be able to turn it around very rapidly, and two to three days is the accepted time frame. We are within two to three days. We're most often within two days. And as a result of that, we are winning business where other groups do not. But it's all part of the positioning as we go forward. If you look at um, if, if you look at what it is that we are not, I need to also talk about what it is that we are not. We are not LabCorp. We are not Quest. We do not have multiple walk-in sites across the country. You can't walk into our lab and get tested. Um, we also don't bill insurance. At this point, you haven't been able to, as companies, haven't been able to get paid by insurance. It's extremely difficult. Um, we may be able to get paid by Medicare. All of that is beginning to improve, and we will look at that as we go down the road. But um, spoke to a group last week, in fact, that had done 10,000 tests in the last month. They haven't received a penny. It doesn't help to be doing tests and not getting money. So you have to pick your spot. We do not do pop-up sites all over the country. They are not profitable. Most of them are illegal. Most of them do not work. We do not do any of that. What we do is highly focused, highly targeted testing with large groups that will, in fact, play out in terms of what Aristotle will give us. So very clear strategy, very clear strategy. There is um, an additional piece here um, where we have actually talked about the telehealth model. I will talk about that in, in a, a great deal of um, information. But before that, I want to go to the come for COVID, stay for cancer, because that is a big part of what we're doing and how we're talking about it. Doing COVID testing, and we believe that the COVID testing is probably going to be with us for about, for about 24 months. It, it may be through into the latter part of 2021. It may be into the early part of 2022. But at least in terms of the very strong demand we see us going all the way through the winter and into the beginning of next summer. By then, we should begin to have the vaccines. We should begin to have an effect. Um, we will look at all of those pieces. So we're planning, that's our time frame that we're planning on. We're looking at having Aristotle launched by year end, and our, our sort of theme of come for COVID, stay for cancer is critical. So the groups that we're bringing to the table and that we're working with are the ones that have an interest in, in cancer as well as COVID. They have an absolute need for the COVID testing now, but they have a longer term interest in, in cancer. And it's the Aristotle piece in terms of where it goes. So clear strategy. And we've talked, for example, quite about, about the MRSA VIP program, about large physician groups, about healthcare systems, about companies. And companies are turning out to be absolutely critical in all of this. I'll come back to the telehealth, but I think a reason for talking about this is we heard a lot of questions um, earlier about why did we take so much time to build telehealth out? And um, 
to walk through that uh, discussion with um, the Harvard group of hospitals that I was part of a few weeks ago. Um, they indicated that prior to COVID, that about 2% of what they did was online um, consultation. So in other words, telehealth. It's currently 85% of what they do. They expect it to settle back, they expect it to normalize, but no one expects it to go back to less than about 40 to 50% of what occurs. It is an absolute pivotal piece of what everyone does going forward. And you're talking with the New York um, groups, the New York groups see telehealth is an absolute key differentiator between the companies or the groups that will succeed, and this is healthcare systems that will succeed, and those that will not. We're fortunate we built it out we took two years to build it out to in, in um, its full complexity. We have large groups of flawed bottomists behind it. That is paying off hugely at the moment because we are one of the very few groups that can offer both end-to-end -end solutions, everything from being able to get patients enrolled online to being able to get teams of phlebotomists out to actually draw the specimens to being able to report in a secure fashion and to do it within that 48 to 72 hour time period. Absolute critical differentiators for us. We'll move now um, to talk about the, the groups that we're working with and walk you through fairly carefully what it is we're doing and um, why we believe um, that we will actually do well with this. And so we'll talk to, uh, and this is the slide that is commercializing COVID-19 and Aristotle. We talked a lot about the fact in the, in the past about the fact that physician practices should only make up about 10% of what we do, but that about 90% of where we will go will be health systems, employers, and patient-directed testing. Um, we still believe that is the correct mix. It's also where we are going. So I walked down the path with some of that. And so, for example, with employers, um, Mercer VIP is um, a superb organization for us to be involved with. We started with one group of agents and the first company to screen. Once we had successfully done that, um, this led to three companies being tested. In time, this led to, to more and more and bigger and bigger companies to where we're actually doing extremely well with Mercer VIP and we're regarded as one of their preferred um, providers. Um, it's amazing where the path goes as it begins to go. And you think about it, you, know, you often look at your reach from a sales perspective, and we might have one individual at our site managing the Mercer VIP account, but Mercer itself has a very large number of agents spread right across the country. And word passes from one to another. You do something correctly, you do something really well, they pass you on to the others. And so you begin to attract the business in. Um, I'm going to stop a little bit here just to, to go through this. We get a lot of questions about capacity. We have, a, we, we have very large capacity in terms of where we can go with testing. doesn't matter whether it's cancer tests, whether it's Aristotle, or whether it's with COVID. Um, one of the misnomers is when we were asked whether we had, you know, what our capacity was, and we said it currently stood at 1,000 tests a day, there's an immediate move by a group of people to say, gosh, that means you go from, from standing start to doing 1,000 tests a day. 
and that's asinine. Nothing like that ever happens. It takes time to build. It takes time to move through. I think it's also a point um, that there's a group on Stockhouse that tends to enjoy um, inventing scenarios and then either promoting it with a lot of lies, a lot of disinformation about what it could be, and try and get the whole rest of the world to believe that that's what the company should be doing. I'm going to caution everyone to please be extremely careful with that. That is not our information. It is not what we're saying. It is not what we're putting on the table. So um, we will be very um, careful with what we say about capacity, other than to say we have no lack of capacity. We can go as far as we like. does not mean we are going from standing start to multiple thousands of tests a day. That, again, does not make sense. And um, to put it into a little bit of perspective, I believe it was the Quest CEO that was asked about what their capacity was, and I think he said it was 11,000 tests a day. Remember, that is all of Quest, with many, many labs spread right across the country. You split the testing up amongst all of that, and you will see that none of those labs is doing three, four, five, or 7,000 tests a day. Um, you can build to that, you can get to that, but you have to, you have to put, put a degree of sense um, into this, and you've got to look at it, how it builds, and how it builds correctly. Um, we'll tie this all together at the end. When we um, deal with the individual employers, and so I'll go back to, to MRSA, um, what we're after is a client referral base that is continually growing, but is also gives us repeat testing. We're testing manufacturers, we're testing software companies, we're testing meatpacking groups, hotels and their staff, and many more. It's amazing how diverse the need is and where it goes. All of these have one thing in common. They want to open up their businesses successfully. They either have had outbreaks of COVID within it or concerned that they might. They need to be able to work through it. We talked about a university a while back, and the biggest thing from the university's perspective was to open up safely. Um, it's not just loss of revenue that everyone's concerned about, but it's loss of reputation too. If you open up and then have to close down again, it, it's severely punitive. So you need to open up and stay open. That means you need to control it. It's exactly the same process as you move through each company. So we talk about some of these companies. Um, they all have to be dealt with individually. You have to sort out what the, what the um, test requirements are. You have to get the employees signed up. We have CAP requirements. You have to have physician oversight. You've got to think of telehealth because that's how we actually bring them into the system. We've got to sort out the dates that they want to get tested. You've got to sort out the numbers to get tested. You've got to sort out how many phlebotomists are needed to actually do this. You've got to get the supplies sent. You then have to get the employees tested, and you need to get the results back within three days. Two days is our target. Three days is the outside. We meet that consistently. Reporting is critical. You report to the individual employees, but you can report to the company in aggregate so that they know where there are problems, they know how to deal with their people and you do this. If you're then working at looking at hotspots, you ensure that there are supplies that then are consistently within that company. 
And what you do is you make sure that you can get phlebotomists in there very, very rapidly so that if they have a patient test positive, you can get them tested and get contact tracing and you follow it through. All of this is, is what has to happen. Um, it is a different system. It is a system that works particularly well for us. It is a system that ties to where we want to go with Aristotle as we drive through all of this. And it also allows us to operate on one, on a cash basis because the companies pay up front. And it allows us to actually charge pricing that is competitive but is also profitable for us. Um, it takes us out of the mad um, rush of, of, of what is perhaps mass testing with relatively little money and no margin. Um, also, where you struggle to get paid. It doesn't work. Very few labs do what we're doing, and it is a unique advantage for us, and it's absolutely paying off, as you will see in the revenue that we've generated in the first um, six weeks of, um, of this quarter. A second group that we are testing at this point is um, the employees and families of a full county in a state. This is a state that is a current hotspot. We started in late July. We've tested over 4,000 of their employees to date. We started with PCR to immediately find those that are infectious. We've now also introduced antibody testing to find those who have had COVID and to build out the data and we'll introduce further testing as we bring it forward. We have multiple sites in the county. We have drive-through, and we do this together with them as we've established it. We've got drive-throughs for PCR. We've got indoor sites for antibody. We've got walk-up for both. The employees sign up via a county-dedicated portal that enrolls them in our telehealth platform. And key, absolutely key, we are reporting results out in under 48 hours. That was a deciding factor in uh, us getting this contract. And um, it has enabled us to continue to gain additional business in terms of where it goes. The county pays us directly. We then have um, a whole series of travel-related companies. Many airlines and countries are introducing COVID-19 test requirements for travelers. You must test negative for the live virus within the 96 hours before travel and have this documented, and sometimes you have to test again upon arriving in the country. We're now working with three such groups and agreeing contracts with three more. Why? We are one of the very few labs that can meet the requirements of a telehealth enrollment reporting process with a secure system that can't be cheated, with mobile specimen draw capability, as well as reporting within, conducting and reporting within the 96-hour test interval. All of this absolutely key. If you're going to get that, you have to go there. Um, there are a very large number of travelers, and within this segment, volume is consistent. Interestingly enough, as we've talked with them, they have as much interest in cancer testing and being able to use this as a platform to take it out from there as they do with the current COVID. So come for COVID, stay for cancer. Previously, as we talked about the companies too, come for COVID, stay for cancer. 
we're dealing with large healthcare systems. We have one we are currently working with, and we have three more right now coming on stream. Collectively, these will take us to home care nursing, to urgent care centers, to long-term care facilities, as well as corporate entities with whom they work and where they have health oversight. This is a mix of either stage zero, providing all of the services, which would include patient enrollment, the physician oversight, the specimen collection and testing, to reporting to where we will share responsibility with the healthcare system that will provide um, to where we will provide um, the results to them. We will provide the telehealth process and we will provide the um, overall um, testing aspect as well as the reporting out and it will drive from there. These two are stable volumes and repeat week after week and payment is upon invoice. And it goes without saying that within this system, um, quite obviously, um, come for COVID, stay for cancer. To date, we have, uh, we have approximately one million in collected revenue, as we explained, and I think we've had a question that said how much of this is collected. It's collected, it's in the bank, um, and we move forward. I think we have other questions that say, do we expect this to continue? Yes, we do. Are we ramping up? Yes, we're ramping up. We're continually adding new people to the mix, and some of them are short-term. Some of the companies come, and they come once. Some of the companies come, and they want testing each week for weeks on end. One of the companies we've worked with has had four outbreaks of COVID in a period of about five weeks. Um, we have continually kept going back to actually do additional testing with them in terms of where they are. Um, all of this is a way to continue to open them up, open them up successfully, and keep them safe. Okay, um, I, think, um, I think we'll move on at this. I want to actually pick up on, um, on the Sentinel principle and um, with, um, with Aristotle. And so if you look at, if you look at what it is, um, you know, Aristotle is the multi-cancer platform. It is going to be or should be the first multi-cancer test in the market. We've been developing it for nearly 15 years. And I think what is important is to explain how we intend to bring it to market. So. Right now, um, I think everyone focuses on saying, well, you have about 3,000 patients on, on Aristotle. No, we don't. Um, we have about 15 years' worth of work on Aristotle across multiple diseases. And remember that part of what we, we've always said is that we are, we believe, at this point, the only group that can provide a multi-cancer panel that is discrete is, is focused on each individual cancer, and it does it with high sensitivity and specificity. How do you get to make a claim like that? Because obviously you've got to know that if, if, if you're finding the cancer, that it is that cancer. You also have to know that it isn't some other disease. If you look at the competitors in the space, 
um, you'll see that they're showing um, an ability to find cancers, but they're not being able to find them discreetly. In actual fact, the two latest um, groups that we looked at with data out there showed that they've got about a 50% chance of being able to tell you what the cancer is. In addition to that, it could also be a, a number of other diseases. So although they might flag that there is a likely problem, and that problem likely is cancer, their ability to ensure that it is not some other disease or to be able to hone in on exactly that what, what the cancer is is only at about the 50% level. Um, we all know that's nowhere near good enough. Um, in our case, it's different, and it's a result of 15 years' worth of work and tens and tens of thousands of patients that have gone through the research, the research side as well as through the commercial side. Remember that we started in, in the inflammatory diseases, um, osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. We went into the cardiovascular area, for example, congestive heart failure. We went from there into neuroscience, um, looking at a whole series of diseases. We've talked about the fact that, that it, it ranges from Parkinson's to schizophrenia to, to um, you know, depression to Alzheimer's. Um, we've looked at a whole variety of other diseases, and then you go to cancer. And when, when we go to cancer, we've developed all of these in parallel. So when we tell you that it is discrete, it is because we have sufficient data that it says it's discrete. You'll find, too, that we, we have an ability, the further forward we go, that, that you know, we talk about colon sentry as we have it. Colon sentry would tell you um, your likelihood of having colorectal cancer. We know that we can see that there are polyps, although we haven't done sufficient work to be able to tease that out completely. We know that you can see right-sided lesions as well as left-sided. We know that stool tests, for example, do not see right-sided lesions. We know, too, that right-sided lesions are the more dangerous. We know all of that. So colon sentry is a very good test in its own right. However, colon sentry will be replaced within Aristotle by the new um, colorectal cancer test. And this is, in fact, if you want to think about it this way, it's a series of tests in one. Um, it, one would tell you whether you have polyps or frank colorectal cancer. It'll be the first test that, in actual fact, can tell you that you have polyps. If you have frank colorectal cancer, it will be able to tell you whether it's stage one, stage two, or stage three or four. Again, this is a first. There is no one else that can do that out there in terms of that. And it comes to the power of what, what the science is. It comes to um, how it will get applied. And it comes to the fact that there's 15 years of work that has gone into this. This isn't something that has just come forward. It has been building for this large period of time. So as we move forward to being able to, to commercialize it, literally right now, in order to bring it forward as an LDT, what we need to do is to actually do the cap and clear certification, which will in fact take us less than two months, and we can actually have it ready for market. Um, together with this, um, we are obviously looking at FDA um, submission. This will be something that would make sense with a product like this. FDA submission will obviously take longer, but we will do that at the same time that we are commercializing the product. As we go forward with um, this, you've got to look at how you introduce it into the marketplace. And so absolutely key in this um, is, is thinking about the employers. 
So right now, stage zero is attracting, is developing a client list that is employers and companies and the groups that guide and service them. Think MRSA, think MRSA VIP, think about the reinsurers that stand behind the companies. Think about the, the, the self-funded insurers that may have um, insurance plans that are a billion or two billion in terms of where it is. Um, everyone is concerned about costs. They're concerned about doing the right thing from a healthcare perspective, but everyone is concerned about costs. We talked before that if we look at stage zero as a company alone, um, our insurance premiums for our employees have gone up nearly 50%, in fact, almost exactly 50% in the last three years. It's absolutely astounding. Um, the, the data that's out there on um, the average um, U.S. family is that they spend about $18,000 a year in out-of-pocket costs for health care. This is between paying for their premiums um, plus paying for their deductibles plus the additional um, co-pays with it. So it is becoming untenable. Um, you have to have a program that works. You have to have a program that can get to them. We, um, and if you go to cancer, cancer is the main driver of catastrophic um, cost in a health insurance plan. So it's not only companies that are interested in it. It's the reinsurers across all of this. You bring them a program like Aristotle that can have a positive impact on health but have a very positive impact on, on their cost structure, and you have everyone's attention. Contracts that used to take us or agreements that used to take us a year to do are now taking months to do. COVID has done that for us. It is actually working extremely well in that sense. And so what we're doing is, as the, the groups come for COVID, we're making sure that people understand that we're a cancer company. That's what we do for a living. We're helping them with COVID, but we would really like to help them with cancer as we move forward. We're getting very high interest. Aristotle is a, um, a program that gets everyone's attention. The question that is most asked is, is what, what does this company do with the employees that test positive. Our answer, as we'll be moving forward, is that we will have a unique solution. We'll have a partnership of cancer clinics that in turn are partnered with major cancer centers so that for those that test positive, we can refer them into treatment groups where they can get dealt with adequately. For those that flag as increased risk, it's an intervention program that is focused on prevention. All of this is cash pay by the companies to us. They deal with the insurers um, themselves as they move forward. This is critical. Think about how you have to service these companies. You have to service them in the exact same way that we're now doing with COVID. So I'll go back to where it is. You need to have a system into which you can direct them. That's the telehealth system. We can get the patients enrolled. We can track them. We can report out to them in a secure way. We provide physician oversight. So we have that aspect as it runs through. We can get teams of phlebotomists into it. Go back to what I was talking about with the county. We can put on-site groups in, into the, the large companies. They can, they, they can be walking. They can be drive-through. They can be indoor. We can do all of that. We can go to people's homes um, in terms of being able to get to them. If you're dealing with a really large company, 
It's going to be a mix of people that are in the offices, and it's going to be a mix of people that are working from home. You can't just do testing at large centers. You have to have the ability to get out to the people that are in the periphery. We have that. Um, in addition to that, we can provide aggregate reports back across all of this to the company so that they can see the normals, they can see the at-risk, they can see those that are presumed to have cancer. Um, and so you get to deal with it. If you have a company that has 100,000 employees, it is absolutely impossible to try and deal with each personal physician for 100,000 employees. It is not possible. Therefore, you have to have a solution. The solution is, as we've talked about, um, is a unique set of partnerships with cancer clinics that are linked to major cancer centers, and that's what we're developing at the same time as we bring Aristotle to market. Um, I think um, probably sufficient at this point. I'm going to focus on the opportunity summary. And one, I'm going to go back again to say we need to set the expectations correctly. We have done one million in revenue in six weeks as this begins to ramp up. We do expect it to continue. We do expect it to ramp. We are not providing guidance on what that is. Um, that's a fool's game. None of us know exactly what it's going to turn out to be. We gave in the prospectus overall guidance as to where we thought we would go with the initial set that came in to us. If we get anywhere near that, that's an astounding achievement. Um, please do not sit and invent scenarios whereby you think um, all kinds of things will happen and then try and keep us to that. We will tell you as we go forward what is happening. Two, we had initially brought on five partners that gave rise um, to, to the projections that we were putting out there. We now have many more. But within partnerships, volume rises and falls. Um, you, you, week to week, things rise and fall. What, part of what we're working to do is to have it be as stable as possible and to continue to show growth. Right at this point, that's exactly what we're doing. If we can continue to be very successful at it, we will continue out and we report as we normally do on, on how we're doing and I, we would hope that um, we'll all be very pleased with that. Three, um, it is a springboard to Aristotle. In everything that we're doing, COVID is an amazing opportunity for us. Um, we didn't ask for it, it happened, we were able to pivot. Um, I'll make a comment too. I, I, I think the, the degree and the speed at which we pivot, if, if there was a chance for me to say thank you to our employees, it is now. They've done an astounding job. To take a lab that was entirely focused on cancer and to pivot literally within a period of two to three months to where you're not only changing everything that you're doing, but you have to fight for supplies out in the marketplace. You have to get them in where to literally take every spare penny we had and pour it into supplies to try and make sure that we were ahead of the curve because you don't get orders if you don't have supplies. We are very adequately supplied, but it has taken a superhuman effort on everyone's part to get it there. Um, therefore, you begin to go. We reported late May we were just beginning, and we were very open about what revenue we had. It went through June. You're just ramping up. July, as everyone can see, it's beginning to truly kick into gear, and so we'll continue to move out.
So all of this provides everything that I've just talked about. It's building on the telehealth platform. It is adding all kinds of new partners to whom we can take Aristotle. Um, and the push is very strongly in that. Three, it is building all of our processes whereby we do this so that they are stronger and more robust as we come out of it. And it's this huge push as we drive into Aristotle. And Aristotle, as we keep saying, is in fact the big opportunity. Um, and I think with that, um, we'll hold it and um, we'll go to answering some of the questions. And um, just, just a note um, to, to people too, you will notice that the nature of these calls will change over time. Um, these calls are usually analyst-based. Um, right now, as we transition to this, we have the first analyst report, and thank you to Claris for doing that. And um, the analyst will start to chime in more, more vocally as we go through. And so over time, these will become essentially analyst calls as we go through. So we will start with questions from the two analysts. From the phone line, it is star one for a question. I do have a question holding that is from Noel Atkinson at Clara Securities. Please. Hi, good morning, James. Uh, thanks very much for uh, taking uh, my call this morning, and uh, it's great to see some momentum in your COVID testing activity. Um, I know you're not giving guidance. Are you able to describe at all the trajectory of the COVID testing revenue activity during the first six weeks of Q3? Was was August running the first two weeks of August running higher than what you'd seen in July? Yes. Um, Noel, I, I, I'm just trying to make sure that I figure out how to answer this in, in, in the most appropriate way. So, so the answer to that is yes. Um, trajectory is growing and is growing pretty rapidly. Um, I, I think as we've gone on out and you bring groups in, it's always slower to get it up and get it working at first. Um, you're describing, for example, the... Um, the Mercer agreements first. You know, you've got to get the first one right. People, people don't bring you a company with 30,000 employees to begin with. They bring you one with 300. And once you've done that well and you've shown that you can do it without flaw and you, you deliver on everything that you said, then you get the company with 1,000, then you get the company with 3,000. And, and so those are coming in and they're building and going out. Um, Certainly the county um, has been very good for us because it had us move really, really quickly as we've gone through that, and that, that will lead to additional opportunities. And then behind this now, um, we're getting all kinds of other groups, and I think particularly the healthcare groups as they are coming on board, and the, um, for example, even the travel-related. I mean, one, one travel-related group deals with 300,000 people a year. Um, you know, clearly volume has fallen off um, in COVID, but they're still dealing with a substantial number of people. For us, that is pretty steady volume as it begins to come in. And you know, now exactly how many of those we will get um, remains to be seen. But it, 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 no, no matter how you look at it, you add that to the next piece, to the next piece, and it's building. So, you know, if, if the question is out through year-end, do we continue to expect to see growth through year-end based off of what we currently have? The answer to that would be yes. Exactly what that trajectory is going to be, um, we're, all, we're all going to have to find out. Um, okay. 
And then uh, my other question for now, uh, so you folks have talked about, uh, you know, initial interest or I guess potential revenue opportunity of, you know, $18 million plus for, for COVID. Are you able to explain a little more about, you know, is this all locked up under contract or is that just the potential market opportunity that customers have come, potential customers have come into you to see if you can supply them? Yes, it's, um, so, so first of all, no, they are not fixed contracts. And um, I, I think we tried fairly hard in the prospectus to explain that they were initial interest. And so initial interest, when groups come to you, they say, okay, um, I have the following situation in order to cater to it properly. And so I'll, I'll use a healthcare system, for example, because this is a perfect example. A healthcare system came to us and said, we, we service the following areas, the following clients, this is what our need is. And so they said, can you, can you supply that? Um, you know, the answer is yes. So that is what comes in. And then you begin to walk down the path with them. And you may, you may get, initially you may get 500 tests in a week. Um, down the road you may get 5,000 tests in a week. It's a matter as it grows through and builds up. Um, at the end of the day, if their initial interest was, for example, let's say 100,000 tests, we could wind up through all of this doing 80,000 tests, or we could wind up doing 150,000 tests. It's purely, purely a matter of how it plays out. Um, I, think, I think what was very good for us was when the people came and they said, okay, you need to be able to deliver this kind of volume for us to get into bed with you. Um, that was there. Now, we had, we had about five groups then. Um, we now have many times that as it's coming in. Um, we had one, one healthcare group, you know, large-size healthcare group. We're in the process of signing three more. We had um, a few employers. We're signing much more. We've just had one group come on that is absolutely massive. Um, how much that will translate into, um, we don't know. We don't know. So, so it, it's, um, it, it's an amazing opportunity. It's a matter of being able to do it correctly. You will not do it if we start to report out beyond our 96-hour window. We will start to lose business because then we become no better than a lot of the other guys out there that are reporting in 7 or 14 days or, as we heard last week, 28 days. So, therefore, it's a matter of controlling all of that. Remember, at the end of the day, we don't just want to do well with our sorry, well with COVID. We want this absolutely to translate to Aristotle. So, making sure we deliver constantly is critical for us. Okay, and then um, you folks have been pretty clear that in whether it's prospectus or the job boards or things like that, that uh, you're seeking to add a second shift at the Richmond lab. Um, how are you seeing the ability to hire additional staff in the current environment? Yeah, it's, um, we've, we, we've actually pretty much doubled in size in company. We've doubled in size in the last two odd months. Um, so, so we've beefed up very rapidly and you know, you've, you've got to be very careful. You don't want to build too fast and you've got to make sure that you have um, full capacity. So right now, um, we, we're deliberately not avoiding the sort of total capacity because we know the moment we put a number out there, some of the people are going to go, oh gosh, they're doing that immediately and, and invent all kinds of numbers. 
So, so our answer is going to be we have absolutely no constraints on capacity. Whatever comes to us, by and large, we can do with it with, with, within reasonable sense. Um, so, so from there, we're fine. Um, and we're staffing up correctly as it runs. We're currently running six days a week. Um, it, it's tough to actually draw on Saturday because you've got, shipping on Saturday night is really difficult. But other than that, we're running six days a week. And um, staffing, staffing, not difficult. Staffing, not difficult. The majority of what we are staffing up are really in, in the lab in terms of where that is and then what I would say would be the customer-facing side. And uh, we brought on, we brought on more salespeople. Um, notably, not so much to have to go out and find the business, but really to be able to triage what is coming into us and then deal with it adequately. And um, you know, it, it, it is a matter of, of running that way. But so far, so far, no difficulty finding um, adequately um, trained people. Okay, great. All right, well, well done so far in Q3, and thanks very much for taking my call. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for the questions. We'll go next to Doug Lowe at Echelon Well. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. Good morning, Jim. Thanks very much for the update. Uh, maybe just con continuing on that theme. Uh, so you talked about you having abundant capacity to meet your near-term demand for uh, for coronavirus testing, but maybe just kind of continuing on there. Maybe you just want to speak to any uh, sort of supply chain constraints that you might have encountered or addressed just with regard to reagents and consumable materials. Um, you know, this entire industry has gone from zero to 60 in light speed, as you know. And so, you know, just maybe just want to speak to any risks there, you know, whether or not you have redundant suppliers, uh, how good your, you know, how well established your existing relationships are with suppliers, you know, for primers and reagents for your uh, IgG, IgM uh, assay. Maybe just speak to that a little bit. That would be helpful. Yeah, by all means. And um, in actual fact, that's, that's been the greatest challenge of everything within this. And so if I go all, all the way back to when we began, the first thing we had to do, and bearing in mind we had limited money, um, was to begin to establish that supply chain. And the supply chain to begin with was way more difficult than it currently is now. And um, you know, swabs, swabs were incredibly hard to get. The, the nasopharyngeal swabs, incredibly hard to get. Um, as we're now moving out, and so for example, saliva testing is, is a lot of what people are talking about. Um, as you move to that, uh, the saliva tubes, the saliva collection tubes are many times more expensive than the nasopharyngeal swabs, and that's just a matter of supply and demand. Um, so far, we're able to get what we want. Um, if, if you look at our inventory, if you look at the financials, you'll see we actually carry a, um, a fairly high load with, res with respect to inventory, but it's absolutely deliberate. Um, you get a call that says, I need to test X number of people. Um, can you get me supplies? That's the first question you, got, you get. The next question is, what's your capacity in the lab? Can you manage this number? And if you, you can answer those two, you get the third one, which is, what's your turnaround time? Can you, can you get the results to us within 48 to 72 hours? By and large, we find we're answering those, we get it. So um, there still is, a, um, there still is a, a, a fair degree of pressure on the supply chain, um, but so far, so far, we're, we're well padded and well ahead of the game. Um, and our relationships with the suppliers is good. You know, as you step up in volume, obviously your relationship uh, improves. And um, you know, we're, we're a high-throughput lab. 
believe it or not, um, CARE, CARE um, and CMS regard a high-throughput lab as a lab that does more than 200 PCR tests a day. That, that, that's an indication of, I think, what most labs actually put through because most labs don't meet that bar. Um, we're clearly significantly well above that bar. As a result of that, um, our suppliers treat us fairly well. Great. That's good color. Thanks, Jim. And then uh, just kind of shifting to Aristotle and the you know, Sentinel uh, principle in general. So first of all, just on Aristotle, I mean, so you mean alluded to, to uh, the potential for FDA approval to you know, provide added differentiating elements to, to that assay independent of just how differentiated it is technologically. Um, I mean, as you know, there are arguments for or against uh, investing capital to specifically get FDA approval for a test as opposed to having clear certification for labs. Just, uh, so just, just want to clarify, is FDA approval for Aristotle something that you might proceed with or something that you will proceed with? And I mean, I know you gave, you gave some general guidelines on time frame, but uh, maybe just kind of flesh out what specifically you're thinking on that theme, What's, what, what additional testing might be required, uh, just the, the amount of capital would be required and so forth. Yeah, yeah, no, mar marvelous question, marvelous question. Um, you know, I, I, certainly as we've looked at it and talked it through, there is no need to have to get FDA approval, okay, and by, in, in order to be commercially successful. Um, I think we've talked about before that something like 98% of, um, of diagnostic tests in the U.S. do not have FDA approval. Um, so, so we believe, and particularly in what I, what I would call the, uh, the, the sort of cash pay market, FDA approval is, is not needed. Um, unless, unless, of course, the FDA oversight in this area becomes much more focused and they absolutely demand it. So as, as we look at FDA approval, we see the advantage there being, if, you know, it, it's interesting to look at what exact sciences did. And so exact sciences isn't exactly loved by, um, by the commercial insurers. On the other hand, by, by getting USPSTF um, approval, they have been able to force the payers to pay for their test. Um, that has um, given, given exact sciences tremendous momentum. And I think they've, um, they've taught the market um, quite a bit about that. Now, you can't get to USPSTF approval without having FDA approval. Um, and so if, if we're going to go down that route, if we think that's the right route to go, and at this point there are indications that it probably is, particularly if we're, we're, we're first out there, um, or if some of the guys we're competing against may go for FDA approval, then, then it behooves us to go that route. Um, now the path, the path would be a little different. Bear in mind that as we you know, pull, pull the partnership together, which we're in the process of doing right now, with um, the cancer clinics that have ties in, into the large um, cancer, cancer groups, um, we will have a lot of patients. We will have a lot of patients. Therefore, we should be able to gather a lot of our data um, for FDA approval without having to go down what I would call the usual FDA approval clinical trial model, which is tens of millions of dollars. That certainly is what we're looking at focusing on. So we think we can actually get to that same endpoint, but, but at a fraction of the cost of, let's say, usual trials. Um, and so that, that, that at least is the path we're considering. Great, thanks. Yeah, just while I got the phone here, one, one more question, just on uh, just looking uh, forward-looking 
Um, and, I mean, uh, you know, as you know, you know, the company has published uh, through its academic collaborators on using blood-based biomarkers to target other non-cancer, non-coronavirus-related uh, diseases. I mean, you have some papers in Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, chronic hepatitis B, and, and, and a few others, uh, including in prostate cancer, which is relevant to Aristotle. So just kind of looking forward, I uh, just wondered if the, you know, if the company had any uh, overt intentions to sort of expand its suite of diagnostic assays to include uh, medical markets for which you have uh, published uh, gene expression data. And I'll leave it there. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, yeah, no, and um, you're, you're, you're correct. We will. Um, I, I think as we put a as we put a particular collaboration on the table, I think it will begin to make sense. It's a it's a group with a very interesting um, approach to how they use biomarkers, particularly down the inflammatory pathways. Um, there are questions to us as to how we might be able to bend some of our um, current technology to cater to some of that. We have had um, an approach on the neuroscience side. We have had an approach on the cardiovascular side. Um, all of these make sense as we go on down. I think it, it, it's getting Aristotle cancer out there first and then absolutely beginning to pull back into all of it. Um, you, you, you know Rory. Um, I believe you know Rory Riggs. And um, so very interesting discussion with Rory this week as to um, you know, how this is all beginning to play out. And I think we're all delighted. It's many, many years of work, and it's actually um, all coming to fruition. Great. Thanks, Jim. You're very welcome. And um, with that, in actual fact, um, we're, we're, we're pretty much within the last minute of where it is. Um, I think we have answered, um, by and large, a lot of the questions. Hopefully, we have got it as clear as possible. We're excited. We're excited. This is actually a very nice spot to be. Um, it, it actually should begin to play out very positively for us. We think um, you know, certainly the next six to 12 months um, should be, we should be able to do a lot more of what we have always wanted to do than previously because we're beginning to become well-funded and that drives. And um, the other piece, Rebecca, who's sitting right next to me, um, we'll actually deal with a lot more of the online questions that we've got after this, and so we'll try and get answers out to all of you as, as best we can. So thank you for joining us this morning, and um, you know, here's to success. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude today's call. We thank you for your participation. You may disconnect at this time, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.